Are you one of those people with a giving spirit? Do you naturally extend yourself to ensure that you brighten the days of other people? Without a shadow of a doubt of hesitation, I would certainly put Robert Lebrecht in that category. He's a man of high energy, spirit, and has a giving soul. After spending more than 35 years in the rehabilitation field, Lorac was eager to share all of the knowledge he had accumulated over the last three and a half decades. Therefore, in 2019, he launched Align Case Management, who offers task assignment case management services to the personal injury field in Canada. His professional journey is only part of his story as Lorac has also spent the last 40 years as a foster parent, giving hope, inspiration, and a reason to smile to countless kids. He joined me this week to have a wide-ranging conversation about personal injury, case management, his life experiences, the impact that has had on children, and so much more. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Kevin, my pleasure completely. It's uh, it's great to see you again, and great to have a chance to uh, to have this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Bob, I know that you spent uh, nearly over thirty five years in the uh, rehabilitation field and helping people with injuries, uh, and you've also started Align Case Management as a, a sort of a passion project in correct you it's been 40 years that <laughs> that I've been at this and and way back in the day Kevin uh, as a as a staff case manager for a variety of private rehabilitation companies when I started literally private rehabilitation didn't exist it was it, we were a brand new uh, entity in the marketplace and it was 100% at that point uh, funded and directed by the insurance companies. And the design was to provide 
case management coordination, discharge planning from the hospital, service coordination, and really managing the individual's disability experience until they return to optimum medical recovery. And we hoped uh, in, in employment and, and resuming most of their activities of daily living. So fast forward 40 years, during that time, FISCO, which is the Financial Service Commission of Ontario, are, are regularly reviewing the insurance product, medical rehabilitation benefits and so on, that an individual gets when they're hurt. And it, it's been an up and down experience where at, at some points in my career, the insurance companies funded you know, broadly an individual's rehabilitation needs, physiotherapy, equipment, uh, vocational rehab, they funded it broadly. And then the pendulum has swung to the other side where it's getting a little bit more challenging to get uh, adequate levels of rehabilitation services to kind of completely uh, and, and optimally uh, recover from an accident. So right now is a little bit of a challenging time for injured people because the amount of benefits have been contracted a little bit and the access to those benefits are a little bit more challenging. And, and correctly, you know, you have to be able to prove that you need a medical rehabilitation services when you're hurt in a car accident. You do have to be able to show that uh, you, you need those services. Um, it's, it's a bit tougher now to meet the, meet the, uh, uh, the plumb line to qualify for some of these benefits. So it's, it's been a challenging course for sure. Yeah, absolutely, Bob. And I know that it's also important to you to have a constant net, network of people where you reach out and network and try and uh, build bridges of understanding and camaraderie when it comes to this line of work. So tell me about why it's so important for you to share your passion for this a lot of work specifically. Well, it, that's an, it's an interesting observation, and you're right. Uh, the, the rehabilitation community is, is big, but it's small. Uh, most privately owned rehabilitation companies know each other, and we regularly use each other. And in fact, uh, just about five months ago, because I'm old and I've been around a while and I do have a network, uh, we formed um, a group called the Align Cooperative. And that cooperative is made up of 15 companies, all involved in one form or another uh, with, with rehabilitating people who have been hurt in an accident. Some, some of our members are um, involved in assessing injuries and making recommendations, or they're engineers and they're involved in re recreating and reconstructing an accident to determine who is at fault. Uh, some are accountants that help quantify an individual's loss and, and what their injury is costing them, not just from an injury perspective, but from a future earning perspective. Some members are involved in, in medical cannabis treatment and are, are involved in providing medical uh, cannabis to help people with chronic pain or PTSD post-accident and everything in between. And there's occupational therapists and and physiotherapists and physicians. And so it's a pretty broad group. And really that group is made up of just what you said, a, a network of like-minded people that, that I've come to know over the years. And uh, 
and we've launched this group called the Align Cooperative, and it's been very well received. So it's important because, and I, you know, you raise a really good question about passion, and it's it's important to note that what we're talking about here is 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 commercial rehabilitation. It is for profit. It is not publicly funded. It is paid for um, by the insurance companies and or by the law firms that represent uh, injured individuals. So the people that are doing this are, are doing so, A, because we, we love it and, and we find great satisfaction in assisting people, but also we're, we're constantly needing to meet customers' expectations. We're, we, are, we are there to be fired if we're not um, adequately supporting an injured individual or if their lawyer feels that we're not actively and, and effectively executing our rehabilitation responsibilities. So, you know, and I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, suggesting that, that publicly uh, funded entities behave differently. I'm just saying that we, we're always at risk because we're, we're hired uh, for a specific job. Uh, we, have to, we have to be very cognizant that we're spending very precious insurance dollars to, to better that person's situation. So we're constantly self-evaluating. We're constantly being evaluated by our clients, which is important. And, um, you know, we're, we're very passionate about making sure that the individual is our customer and our client, regardless of who's paying for it or who's, um, who's assigned us to the task. Ultimately, we're working for that injured individual and we are being paid by their very precious insurance dollars. So uh, waste not, want not. And, uh, you know, if you can get something done um, um, in, in the most effective, impactful way, uh, there's no excuse not to. And that's that's sort of our mandate is to make sure we do the best job we can. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Bob, what was big here last afternoon uh, sparked my interest to ask you about uh, the new mega hospital that everyone's uh, excited. Depending on what side of the aisle you're on, you're with. You're really excited or you're really not. So I'll front the question this way. In terms of the mega hospital, what are you most looking for when it comes to rehabilitation and the impact on the community once the hospital is built? Well, I, th I think that's a great question. And like all of us, I think that are, you know, funding this, or the public dollars that are funding it, the hope is that it creates some organic and, and natural efficiencies. Um, you know, uh, I'm from the East Coast of the country and grew up there and, and have worked there over the years and I continue to work there um, through, uh, through our legal clients. And what I do notice is that geography does impact um, the delivery of healthcare. So, you know, if you, and I'm, you know, a recent um, client of, of needing to go to London to receive a, a particular medical service. And so my global hope <clears throat> is that Windsor Essex County will have at the end of the day, you know, a world-class facility where once you go through that front door, the vast majority of whatever uh, healthcare you're, you're seeking is going to be under that roof. And, and that efficiency and that access 
um, you know, is, is essential. I think whether, and you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a student of, of, of Canadian healthcare and American healthcare. Uh, I have a, a daughter and son-in-law and granddaughter that live in Michigan and I've had the opportunity and, and really the, the privilege of working as a rehabilitation case manager in uh, America in certain states. And I've had, you know, more than a glancing view at, at the differences in the system. And I think where we sometimes um, are lacking on the Canadian side uh, is, is access, is, um, you know, entry points and efficient entry points to specialist uh, treatment, testing, and, and so on. So I'm, I'm hopeful, optimistic, that this mega hospital, whenever you attach the word mega to anything, it sounds, it's sound, obviously it's big, it's got to be big and hopefully inclusive, hopefully comprehensive. And again, hopefully br bridging some of those um, access gaps that we might have right now in, in the region. Yeah, and you know, Bob, I know that you've been uh, around this for a very long time. And, you know, when we talk about rehabilitation in this region, most families start at the John McEvney Children's Center uh, until they are um, uh, sort of uh, given to another entity. And one of the big things that I work on with the center is the transition to adulthood program. You know, the center has uh, recently introduced more programming and more resources for families as they transition out of, uh, out of the center and into the adult life. Because as you know, once you turn 18 and at 21, most of the medical services that people have become accustomed to, uh, you now have to pay for out of pocket. So tell me your thoughts on, on the importance of transition to adulthood services when it comes to things like rehabilitation. I'm curious. Yeah. So, you know, part, a, a huge part of um, our family's life, uh, my wife, Cindy, and myself has been foster parenting. Uh, and we've had, the, again, the great privilege of, of providing foster placements and, and foster care in three provinces, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Ontario. And so we've learned a lot in those 40 years. We've done that for 40 years. We continue to do it. And what we've noticed is in the key element, whether it's a biological family that's transitioning a young person from youth services to adult services, or whether it's a young person who finds themselves in foster care and transitioning from, from youth services to adult services is planning. And, you know, I, I think like most of us, I think, you know, we leave planning, whether it's for you know, tax planning or estate planning or vacation planning or whatever, we leave it a little too late. And I think, you know, most families, I think, benefit from a proactive approach to identifying, wow, you know, our young person's turning 14, TikTok, you know, in four years or in, in seven years, we're going to have to not get services from this pod, what's available. And what we've happily discovered is there is a great network in Windsor-Essex County um, through various service providers that, that already have those bridges built. It's simply a matter of reaching out, uh, doing that research, identifying 
what services are needed, who's providing them, and getting on what might be a waiting list, but shortening that waiting list if you've planned a little bit. I mean, sometimes there just aren't all, all the spots we'd want, but planning can shorten maybe the gap of maybe getting passport dollars or maybe getting you know the, the equipment assessment that you need done to, to uh, improve your mobility situation or whatever it is. Planning is the key. So as difficult as it is to you know kind of think about, well, yeah, we have to leave the McGivney Center or we have to leave another program or school, um, what are our options? What do we need to do to prepare for that? That's, those are key activities that can really enhance the experience. Yeah, and just building on that point, Bob, when you look at the financial aspect of, of taking on, on this new or continued services, what would be your message to anyone watching this about the importance of uh, financial planning when it comes to things like this? Oh, my God. Well, you know, it, it's maybe it's not underused or overused, but if we're, Kevin, if we're talking about a person, you know, with a, a specific need, um, whether it's, you know, a, a mobility uh, deficit or a cognitive deficit or, a, you know, a, a psychological deficit, there's, oddly enough, there's great help to be found um, from a financial planner that's, that's, familiar with disability tax credits and setting up of Henson trusts. Um, there, there are strategies that can literally start um, when a person is one year old or two years old, where you can begin the building blocks of, of the very difficult task of, of financial um, safety nets and, and financial resources that that person's going to need when they're 28, 30, 40, and 50. And it's, these are difficult conversations sometimes about who's going to be responsible for what uh, as life goes on. But um, difficult conversations, again, better to have early than late. And there's lots of experts in the field um, that, you know, you simply research Henson Trusts and you'll, you'll be surprised how many people are available locally, provincially and nationally that can really take a family under their wing and help with that, uh, that level of planning and, and, and financial, really financial foundations that you have to put in place to make sure there's limited gaps in, in the resources that are going to be required. That being said, there's also an incredible number of, of scholarships and, and grants. Uh, there's a number of private companies that, that you know, specialize in in doing just that, writing writing grant applications for specific needs or group needs, and and uh, you know those those services are invaluable in terms of identifying all available financial resources. It's important to be invested in the process, isn't it? Oh my God, <laughs> for sure. And you know, yes, uh, pure and simple. There's no need for a long, expansive answer for that. If you're if the family's all in. And they have a, a support network around them, uh, all focused on the same goal, which is to, you know, uh, equip their young person with all of the resources that are available to maximize, you know, their interface with the community and maximize their level of function. Um, then, you know, it, it, th these situations tend to end uh, positively. I think the, the folks that struggle, I think if they look back, um, you know, th there may have been opportunities to start that planning process a little earlier. Uh, but at the end of the day, listen, at the end of the day, families 
particularly now are are facing you know uncertain futures covid has has really uh, dampened uh, fundraising for a lot of local uh, groups that that assist uh, our community so yeah you know what it's it's uncertain times but um, you know um, it doesn't doesn't lessen the importance of doing everything um, you can as a as a group to to uh, bring make it rain as they say and and find all the resources you need yeah Bob you know one of our mutual uh, passions is you know inclusive employment you know Bob I always say if you give someone with a disability a job you don't all you also give them a sense of belonging in addition to the financial security and I know that you've spent some time as uh, an employment counselor and I know that we both, both share the passion to make sure that individuals with disabilities are gainfully employed. So talk to me about the importance of a diversified workforce and the benefits that can provide. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll share this uh, story, Kevin, because I think it intersects well with that point. Um, way back in the day, I think I was 22 or 23 years old, and my family and I had moved to... Uh, a little town in Northern Ontario called Espanola. And there was an adult rehabilitation center there at Arc Industries. And Arc Industries really don't exist anymore, but it was sheltered employment for individuals with, uh, with a cognitive uh, impairment or a physical impairment or a, a combination of, of those issues. And it was really sheltered employment. And when, when I was hired as their director at uh, 22, I had no business being in that job. But at that point, that enterprise uh, owned and operated a flower shop, and we had built uh, wooden pallets for the local um, pulp and paper company. And we were involved in, in some basic furniture fabrication and retailing that. And we were receiving large subsidies from, at that time, the Department of Community and Social Services. Well, wanting to freshen the pot a little bit in terms of not only the work that we did, but how our community perceived us, uh, we aggressively pursued a contract with uh, Bell and Howell um, to microfilm, which is an old term, but to microfilm medical records from the three regional hospitals in Northern Ontario. Now, now everything's digital and electronic and, and scanned and saved on, you know, a bottle cap. But back then, medical records were microfilm. They were photographed and stored on smaller, but yet still cumbersome microfilm. So long story short, Bell and Hal provided the very high-tech equipment at the time to photograph and store these microfilms, and the hospitals were paying us market value for it. So um, in, in, instead of showing up for work at a sheltered workplace, uh, our, our staff members, our clients, if you will, but our employees showed up in, in shirts and ties and, and pantsuits and, and skirts and blazers. And they did office work and they did high-tech, highly-valued office work. And oddly enough, the community, um, up, they observed this, they saw this. And we were collectively, Arc Industries was viewed much more as a business and a place of employment um, rather than sheltered employment and a place for folks to go to pass the day. So it, it struck me as a young person that optics are everything. 
and environment is everything. And simply by changing the perception of what was happening within the, the building, the people in there were viewed differently. Their abilities were viewed differently. Their limitations were viewed differently. And it was, a, it was a very powerful lesson for a young person, myself, to learn very early that, that you only have to change some elements of a person's circumstance to completely change um, their self-view and the view of the, of the people in their lives. It, it was remarkable to me how many parents um, saw their young person differently when they were earning minimum wage or a little better. And, and operating a quarter of a million dollar piece of machinery in, instead of, you know, a pallet gun or, or some, of the more, some of the more basic stuff. Everybody's view of what was happening changed and in, in very important ways. So to translate that to Stellantis or a liquor store or Walmart or a restaurant, if somebody requiring some accommodation shows up, depending on how at what level the buy-in is um, with the ownership of the company and, and the co-workers and, and, and the clients of that business. Um, I, I, think, I think it only improves everybody's uh, quality of life to have an inclusive, uh, adaptive um, workplace. I think, I think that just, I think if you're a healthy community, that's intuitive. And, and I think one employer at a time, one coworker at a time, one employee at a time, I think that change is, you know, I'm 40 years into this business and I've certainly seen, you know, significant steps forward. Are they enough steps? No, but it's very different now um, for somebody to, you know, make it through post-secondary education and start competing. There are, there are some legislative uh, requirements for employers to adhere to. They're going to help that individual be interviewed fairly and, and, and hired and supported. And there's certainly some government supports through ODSP and, and other departments that will provide job coaches or equipment or, you know, to, to enhance their employability. But at the end of the day, the, the better job we do at this, the better community we have, period. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Everyone deserves to a, a draw a paycheck at the end of two weeks, right? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Bob, I'm curious to get your perspective on diversity, equity, and inclusion as a whole. The progress we've made, and how far do you think we still need to go? Oh, my God. Well, you know, sadly, you know, we, we still have a long way to go. I, I There's some... There's some tremendous companies and some tremendous, you know, CEOs and CFOs and and foremen and forewomen that that this is not even a question anymore. Um, but there, there's Kevin. Look, you know, as as better than most, there are still there are still some mountains to climb. And and um, you know, you're a young person, so I hope when you're sitting at at my number of birthday candles that that we're having a different conversation but there's still significant um steps that we need to take and and uh you know canada's the greatest country on the planet um i'll have that discussion with with anybody i think canada has a 
has a spirit, uh, a, a natural spirit um, that's sometimes hard to see, but a natural spirit of inclusion and wanting to do better and identifying when we don't do well and wanting to improve on that. I think that's, I think that's part of our DNA as a country. So um, we have to be optimistic and we have to be willing as individual citizens to, to do what we can when we have the opportunity, whether it's to write a reference letter for someone who's asked us uh, that, that, may, you know, that may require some job adaption or some job support to gain a position. But you know, whatever we can do, if we own a company, I think that's got to be part of our corporate plan to hire somebody who's, who's needing um, a, a broader sense of acceptance or a broader um, birth to, to make it into the work world. Uh, and that's, you know, that's true of everyone. That first job, that first opportunity is the key. And whether that's a government-supported position or a part-time position or a volunteer position, getting that first, um, once you get that first nugget to build on, uh, the, the momentum kind of naturally presents itself. So I, hope, I just hope we do better, Kevin, and I hope, I hope that our governments, provincial, federal, and, and regional, I hope they continue to make it a priority to fund places like the Unemployed Help Center and to fund you know, programs like uh, ODSP and to fund um, you know, employer incentives to hire people uh, that might be disadvantaged from a, from a work perspective. I hope that remains a priority. And I know, you know, we've got some challenges ahead relative to healthcare and an aging population. But you know what, Kevin? It's it's tough to drive around Windsor right now and not see help wanted signs. That's great. You know, I think employers now might be forced out of their comfort zone to interview folks that might at first blush not seem to be able to do a particular job or be qualified for a particular job. And I read a great, a great quote the other day where, and I forget the name of the company, but it was a Fortune 500 company, and they have literally made it part of their HR program now, not to hire based on qualification, but to hire based on, on, on uh, attitude. So in other words, if you've got a mid-level position that's open in this particular company, and somebody applies, and the first thing on their resume is, I don't know the first thing about X, Y, Z, but I am incredibly willing to learn, and I've, I've got an aptitude for A, B, C, and D. I'm, I'm yours to mold. That, that's becoming a, a catch point for employers now. If somebody's willing to learn and has a, a good work history, doesn't matter if you don't have the degree or the experience, because of the need of, a, of, a, of the workforce right now, or the need for more people to enter the workforce, I think that creates some some natural opportunities. It certainly does, and you know, Bob, you know, I'm curious to also ask you, you know, the last two and a half years have been challenging uh, for all of us, and I think because of the coronavirus, it's really provided us an opportunity to have a more broad, broader perspective on what really is important in life. So what do you, Well, to be honest, Kevin, what gives me the most hope um, for the future is this conversation. You, you as an individual, a young person who 
who, um, you know, you, you look at the world, you look at your place in it, and you refuse to let anyone else define your place in this world. You're carving out an incredible spot for yourself. Um, your, your skills are growing, your reputation's growing, your viewership is growing, your confidence is growing. Um, so you and literally thousands of other young people who have survived this pandemic, who have survived, you know, incredible political upheaval uh, below the, the U.S. border and, and to some degree in our own country. And, and as a foster parent, I've got to tell you, we've had 40 years of young people coming through our front door. Some stay for a month, some stay for, you know, 12 years, and, and a lot of them still call us mom and dad. Um, young people are our only hope. And the good news is, I, you know, I see a, I see a resilience and a, uh, a, a pliability or a flexibility that didn't exist in my generation. We had a very concrete view of what we need, needed to do. <laughs> you do good in high school, you go to college or university, you, you get a job and you figure it out. Your generation is much more entrepreneurial. You're much more confident in being able to develop your passion. We, not that we weren't allowed to have passions when I was, <laughs> we, had, we had guidance counselors. And, and their job was to remind us that we sucked at math and that we, you know, <laughs> we, we, couldn't, we, we couldn't pursue this, that, or the other because of A, B, C, and D. And um, <clears throat> young people today, thank God, are emboldened to truly, you know, pay the bills. That's cool. But don't give up on a dream. Have a dream. Do something every day to build your bridge towards your dream. Don't be dissuaded. And there's nothing stopping you. And, and again, as, as you know, Kevin, I, I dabble in stand-up comedy, and I have for years and years. And way back in the day, there was, uh, there was a, a path to that. You went to a comedy club. You did open mic nights. Um, maybe the comedy club, Yuck Yucks, back in the day liked you. They would hire you. You would work your way up in that chain. Uh, and, and that was the path to comedy. Now, um, and, and in terms of getting a sitcom or, or you know, blowing up in terms of, a, of a, a, a big comedy career, that was a move to New York or a move to Toronto or a move to LA. Now, because of this medium, because of the internet and, and YouTube and, and so on, if you are passionate and talented and committed you know, you, you, you can expand the path to that dream. And I think that's true of almost anything now. I think if your passion is to be a writer or a content creator or a teacher or um, a musician, there's just so many different ways now to alert people of your presence and of your, of your value and of your gift. And, and uh, so Young people today, I think, have that natural advantage, the confidence that youngish people have in terms of IT and technology and, and, and this medium. I think, uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't want to be young again, uh, but I, I certainly wish we had more elements of that when I was younger, more, more paths, more, more ways through the forest to get where you wanted to be. Well, experience is your greatest teacher, isn't it? 
<laughs> Sadly, yes, that is true. It has been my uh, my tutor right up until including today. So yes. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm also wondering your thoughts about it. You and your wife Cindy, as you mentioned before, have spent forty years as a foster a family for a deserving kid. So tell me, anyone that's watching this about the power of opening yourself up to active service and uh, what fostering has done uh, to your life to enrich it. I'm curious. Oh my God. Um, how many hours do we have, Kevin? Um, it, has, it has been truly... Um, I can't talk about it without getting emotional, but it has been a, an odyssey. Um, it's, it's been the best thing uh, we have done as a family collectively. Certainly the best thing I've ever done as a person is to, um, uh, you know, I think you used the word, uh, you know, allow these young folks in our home. It has been a privilege. We've gotten to meet some real heroic people who have survived much, um, figured out a way to adapt to the trauma that they had experienced, uh, use it to their advantage. And, and come through a very difficult system uh, and, and become just, you know, lovely people. Um, so, and I'm, I'm always um, in awe of people um, that survive um, despite some harrowing odds. I, I have all day to listen to, um, you know, people's stories because it, whether it's in my professional life, people that have survived horrific accidents and physical injuries and emotional injuries um those people are heroic to me so are an 18 year old who has you know survived uh, difficult family circumstances multiple foster placements um, multiple moves and yet um come through with hope in their heart optimism um a passion about something that's remarkable to me, and it's heroic. So <laughs> what I've gained from it really is perspective. You know, my worst day, I've had some horrible days, but my worst days always had some light at the end of the tunnel that I didn't have to create. Um, a lot of the kids that we've had had to create their own light. So not, not a great answer to a tough question, but uh, it's it's very much a selfish act to be a foster parent. Um, it's an incredibly selfish act to uh, surround yourself with 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 young people that don't want to quit. Well, creating an inclusive environment, you know, Bob. Uh, we mutually share the, the desire to sort of bridge the gap of division and create a bigger bridge of uh, humanness. So I want to thank you for your work in that regard, my friend. And my final question for you today, Bob, has to do with, you know, I'm very big personally, Bob, about celebrating the wins in life and really uh, including in, in the joy of life, celebrating the biggest and smallest of wins. So my final question for you has to do with Personal and professional legacy to be defined. Wow. Um, 
actually an easy question. So we're grandparents. So that has been by a several million miles, the greatest um, win is, is raising two biological kids and a whole bunch of other kids and having, having a happy, healthy, um, joyous little grandchild um, kind of be in our family. That's, that's a win that transcends, you know, just about anything else that, that I can think of. Um, the joy in our life, Kevin, you know, in our family is, is the collective win. I think, you know, out of the group of a couple of hundred kids that we've had and all of my professional colleagues and our friends and family, when somebody does well, that's something that we all take joy in. And I think that's a bit of a lost art. Uh, even when a competitor does well, um, I, think, I think that's that's a joy that we should all have and the, that I do have. Um, I absolutely hate the Tampa Bay um, Lightning. I think they're a horrible organization. Yet when they won, I found joy in their win because, uh, you know, Kadri uh, is on their team, former Leaf. I like the Leafs. So I took some joy in their win, even though they're my arch enemy as a hockey team. Um, and I, I think that's our, that should be our goal as a society. Um, I'm a massive Bruce Springsteen fan. And one of my favorite quotes that he said is, um, unless we all win, nobody wins. And, and there's truth in that, um, that if, if people get left behind economically or socially or, or in any way, uh, it it, uh, it diminishes us, all of us. And I think, you know, to finish that point, that's why I love the idea of Canada. I think, I think our view, our social programming, our, 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 collective, um, our collective experience is trying to pull us toward a point where if Newfoundland's having a bad time, uh, the people in BC feel equally bad about it as do the people in Newfoundland. And I think by and large, Canadians are built that way. And we love to see each other win. Um, and, um, I, you know, my legacy, I hope, is, is that, uh, you know, at, at some point, if people talk about our family, is that they'll speak of, this, speak of us in those terms, that, boy, the Lebrecht's weren't happy unless everybody was happy. And, uh, and that's, I think that's a, a, a simple answer to a, complex question but that's what i got yeah absolutely if we can all all you know i always say if you you pay it forward the rewards you get uh personally will multiply would you agree with that no argument here for sure for sure yeah absolutely and bob finally tell me if people want to get connected with a line case management or you personally what's the best way they can do that uh, just go on the website, aligncasemanagement.com, and uh, my contact details are on there, and uh, it's all good. Fantastic. Well, Bob, as you know, we mutually uh, have uh, some mutual interest in, in terms of volunteering and some other uh, community endeavors that are around the city of Windsor and the county of Essex. It's always great to see your body, and I was looking forward to engaging in conversation with you. I want to thank you for the good work that you do to make our community a better place and for engaging in conversation with me this afternoon. It's most appreciated. 
God bless Kevin. Keep up the good work. I can't wait to see uh, where your path leads.